The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Find your Bibles and go to Mark chapter number 14, and we'll read some tonight. And uh, I, I guess in a sweeter, nobler voice probably as well. And I wonder if there will be some additional note ranges and so forth that we get to sing in heaven. It's going to be beautiful, no doubt. Mark chapter number 14. Mark chapter number 14. And tonight we're going to learn some lessons from the Last Supper tonight, and we're going to look at it as a whole, not going through verse by verse, but take some lessons that were learned here in the Last Supper. So let's look at that. Mark chapter number 14, verse number 12. Mark 14, verse number 12. The Bible says, In the first day of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sent, uh, sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there uh, shalt meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And whither or wheresoever he shall go in, say ye unto, unto the good men of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber? where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. Let's say that together. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them. No matter how complex and strange the commands of the Lord might seem to us, right? Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of questions. Well, what will the man think? And what will the man be wearing? And, and will he be okay with this? You know, we should just learn to say, yes, sir, and I'll do it, and find that the word of the Lord always comes true. And so they found it happened as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Verse 17, and, he, and in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him one by one. Let's read that, that statement together. Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish, the Son of Man Indeed goeth, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and brake it and gave, them, uh, gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is the blood of the New Testament, the New Covenant, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung an hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane and would have his Gethsemane moment where he surrendered to the will of the Father. And uh, it's not that he wasn't surrendered now. He, he went through that very, very dark time in the Garden of Gethsemane. And nevertheless, Lord, thy will be done. Wow, what a, what a Savior we have. 
Well, let's consider this matter of, of lessons at the Last Supper. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these truths that you gave to us, these, this narrative, and we pray that you would be our teacher right now. Lord, there was a lot going on in the life of the disciples in this, this gathering that you had with them. And Lord, we would like to learn from you as you taught them and as you instructed them and led them along. So help us, Lord, we pray. Give us hearts that would be open to your word. And Lord, I, I just really ask that you would help us as a, a church family and as individuals to be growing believers and not to be content with where we are, but to be growing and moving forward for you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the important things to do as you go through this season of Jesus' life, this last, this last week in his life, is to harmonize the Gospels. God gave us the Gospels, all four of them, uh, to help us to have a full perspective of what God was doing in the, uh, in, through the life of the Lord Jesus, the, his person and his work. And so as we come to this time, remember this morning we're dealing with, with the triumphal entry, which we believe to, uh, it happened on Sunday. But then you come into Monday and Tuesday, and you have him going kind of back and forth between Bethany and Jerusalem. It wasn't that far away, and he's traveling back and forth, and such was the case here. And so we believe that as he's finally come back on Wednesday, that he would have celebrated, according to the Galilean time, he would have celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, gone out into Gethsemane and then been arrested that night. And I know there's a lot of debate and, and so forth about timing and so forth. Uh, what has helped me with timing is to understand that there are several different calendars, three different calendars that were at play in, the, in that time. And uh, what has also helped me to understand is the importance of the Bible saying that it was three days and three nights that he would spend in the grave, not two days and three nights, or not, and, and so on. He, he spent three days as Jonah, three days and three nights in the grave. So on Wednesday, he would have eaten the Passover lamb. If you can give me that, uh, give me that next uh, slide here. And just understand that there, there, was, there was three different calendars at play, and they're, they're being written according to uh, to such so you have the the galilean calendar which is the matthew mark and luke is which he would have eaten the passover uh dinner according according to the galilean calendar jewish uh the jewish calendar is what john was writing according to and that that makes a difference with how the days start and end uh and and uh, what point uh those those uh start and so we have the roman calendar which starts at midnight like we do and goes to the next midnight, you have the, the, uh, the Jewish calendar that starts at 6 a.m. in the morning and, and goes, uh, goes around. And so there's a little bit different uh, structure there. And so uh, on Thursday uh, is the time, and again, I know there's, there's you know, some people, uh, some people uh, kind of, this, this becomes a point of contention, it doesn't need to be. You know, the Lord can straighten us all out in heaven, right? Um, but but it, it seems according to um, when you look at the calendars and synthesize them that it seems that it was on Thursday that he was on the cross. Uh, I certainly don't believe it was Friday um, and because that, that removes the three days and three nights. And so um, where does good, um, good Friday come from? Well, uh, you know, some of those things were added in uh, along the way. But uh, one of the greatest things is just to look at how, how these different Gospels were written according to the different, uh, different times and so on. So Thursday, uh, that he would have become the final Passover lamb. He would have been put on the cross. And uh, that's an amazing thing. So he ate, he ate the, uh, the, the 
Passover with his disciples according to the Galilean time and was put on, uh, put on the cross according to uh, Jewish time and he was placed in the grave and he was in the grave three days and uh, three nights and up from the grave he arose on Sunday morning, praise the Lord. And uh, that's the most important thing. God's word comes true and the pictures of his word comes true. But as he is looking forward to this, uh, there are some dark moments. That it, it seems that on Monday and Tuesday, he's spending time with his friends, uh, uh, Lazarus and, and the others, spending time with his friends and, uh, and enjoying them and enjoying their, their company. But it comes to Wednesday, and boy, things just get very, 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 very difficult. Um, a dark time as Jesus got closer and closer to the cross. But as he comes to these last moments with his disciples, he is, he's imparting to them some very important lessons. And... You know, we like to think that the disciples all got along and everything was just really nice and easy. But do you understand that a lot of times there's, a, there's some drama in lives? Even, even at difficult times, there's drama in lives that, that's going on under the surface. In fact, right before this time, according to time, the chronology, he would have been telling his disciples, listen, I want you to remember that you're to love one another. And then we get into the dinner, and there is strife, and there's all sorts of problems going on, friction, and there, you know, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and it's going back like this, and back and forth like this. And so there's a little bit of drama going on inside, uh, inside this dinner. But I want us to realize this first, as we would draw several lessons from it. And it's this, in Mark 14, verse 17, we, and we find that he says, In the evening, evening he cometh with the twelve, and as they sat and did eat, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. Could I just note here tonight that Jesus sees the hearts? As his disciples gather around that table, he sees the hearts of his disciples. He sees what's going on inside of them. And we all understand in hindsight, we all understand this is Judas, but understand they didn't understand that. They didn't know who was going to betray because they, they start asking, who, it, who is it? Is it I? Is it I? Which, by the way, is a great question. It's a really good question. Now, I don't know if all of them were asking it with perfect intention or, they were, or whether their pride was sort of accosted, and so they began to ask that question. Regardless, it's a good question for us to ask. When, the, when God says something, are you, are you saying that for me? Is that, is that me? And to have that type of heart. And so, is it, is it I? But he saw into their hearts and he says, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to deliver or surrender me over to the authorities. That's what he was saying. One of you is going to give me up. Now remember, what were the, what were the chief priests as he came into the city and as the witnesses are going around and they're, they're saying, hey, did you see what he did with Lazarus? They're going around and spreading all this. They're trying to kill Lazarus, but they're also plotting to take Jesus himself. And so they needed someone to give up his schedule, give up his time, bring him to the right place at the right time. Obviously, God would have him in the right place at the right time, but they were looking for an opportunity to take him. And so when Judas stepped forward, boy, they, they thought this was a great thing. In fact, in Mark 14, verse number 10, and Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought how he might conveniently betray him. So as Judas came into the supper, he's already had a meeting. He's already had a closed-door 
meeting with these guys, and he's already talked to them, hey, listen, I'm willing to give them up, and, and all I need is an opportunity, so stay posted, and they didn't have phones and that sort of thing in that day, but stay posted, I'll, I'll let you know what the plan is, but he's seeking right now, as he sits at this table, he's seeking for an opportunity to conveniently give the Lord Jesus Christ over to the authorities, and I just think about that. You know, we've, they've gathered together, they've been together for three years, they've been preaching together, they've been out on ministry tours with this guy and yet he is sitting at the table eating fellowshipping with jesus and the rest of the disciples fully intending to give jesus over to the the, the authorities and do you know what i see they in him a heart of deceit this was a very insincere heart he was not there genuinely he was there with ulterior motives he was there intending to figure out how can i hand him over to the authorities you know, Jesus sees our hearts and our motives. Jesus sees the heart of deceit. He sees in our lives when we have set out to do something evil and when we still gather and act like everything's all, all, all right, when we still gather as if we're just one of the crowd. And the fact of the matter, Jesus sees my heart. He sees our hearts. He sees the insincerity. And I'm reminded of what it says in Hebrews 4 and verse number 13. There's, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know, we need to realize and remember and, and constantly be reminding ourselves that Jesus sees everything that is going on in my heart. He sees my motives. May we not be content with, uh, with going through Christianity and through the, the meetings and the gatherings and different things with ulterior motive. May we not be content with having uh, an insincere motive. And listen, as we think about this, Jesus sees a heart that is already set to do evil, yet still meets, yet still gathers, yet still goes through the motions. He sees the heart. This could be a young person planning to go through and throw off the restraints of a godly heritage. You know, I'll, I'll bide my time. But when I get a chance. Be a man planning on how to be unfaithful. If I have the opportunity, I'm done. You know, I think about the deceit that was in Judas's heart, and we all are horrified at that, but you know, the Bible tells me that my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And there's been many times where there have been folks who, you know, we'd say, oh, man, I never imagined them, uh, you know, walking apart from the Lord or, or doing, something, doing something evil. But it, in their heart, they had allowed and they had gathered and they had, they had put on a show like everything's all right. So we take a, a lesson tonight. Jesus sees the heart of deceit, but Jesus also sees the heart of pride. Look at the end of Mark or uh, down towards the middle of the chapter, verse 27. And Jesus, as they're going out after the meeting, I just want us to see everything that's going on around the meeting. He says, listen, disciples, the, yes, there's going that's going to betray, but I, I want us also to realize that all of you are going to be offended in me to, on tonight. Now think about that. Jesus was trying to prepare them for what they were going to face. He'd been telling them all the way back, Matthew 16, verse 21, he's telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem, uh, they're going to take me, they're going to kill me, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. Praise the Lord. On the third day I'm going to rise again. He had, he had given the game plan, but here he says, all ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter, 
Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will I, or not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Truly I say, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. Had you noted that? They all chimed in. We're all there. We're with Peter. Don't tell us that we're going to give up on you. Don't tell us that we're going to trip up on you. That's what the the idea of of being offended is, to be tripped up. I mean, it's understandable. They've walked with Jesus all this time. They've been with him. They don't, have all, all, they don't have the benefit of hindsight like we do. And they've heard these things for the first time from Jesus. He's saying, I'm going to rise again. They weren't, they weren't comprehending all this. And he says, listen, you're going to be tripped up. And they were. Many of them hid in fear and spent that, the rest of the week hiding out, desperately afraid that they were going to get picked up by the authorities themselves. And so he says, you're going to be tripped up. You're going to be stumbled. And the disciples would ultimately be tripped up by things not going their way. You know how often God doesn't do things our way? And how often that is exactly what trips us up. You know, they, they're, they're thinking, well, aren't you going to establish the kingdom? And even after his resurrection, before he goes back to heaven, they're still asking the question, aren't you going to establish your kingdom? They are set on this. And so when God doesn't do it their way, when, when the way to the kingdom of God is, is through the cross, and they're wondering, what, we, our leader's dead now. He's supposed to be our king. He's supposed to be our deliverer. And what's going on here? They were tripped up because things did not go their way. And Jesus sees the heart, the heart that's filled with pride that says, I'm not going to ever do that. I won't be tripped up. I won't stumble. You know, we don't know what's ahead of this week. We don't know the challenges that we might face. And it's by the grace of God that we don't trip up. I get really afraid, and, and I, I see this a lot of times with you, newer believers or believers that have just come back to the Lord, and they're very excited about it. And, and it's like, I'll never go back. Now, there's, there's, there's a great thing in resolve, you understand? But far too often I've heard, heard folks say, I'll, I'll never go back to that. And, and they, they were saying it with an air of, this is in my own self-effort. You know what? We, we should not in pride boast of what we will never do. we got to be careful. It's by the grace of God that I walk with God. It's by the grace of God that I stay faithful. It's by the grace of God that I, I can be a witness or um, be an encouragement to somebody. It's by the grace of God that I have victory over sin. And it would be by the grace of God that any one of those disciples would stay true to the Lord. And, and they didn't realize that all of them, all of them said, We're not going to be denying you. We are not going to go against you. And yet, they all, in a way, none of them stood with Jesus in the judgment hall. Peter got close, and he looked from afar off, um, uh, warming his hand by the fire, but none of them stood with him boldly. Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by his grace, which is bestowed upon me, was not in vain. By the grace of God. I am what I am. 
oh, for a heart of humility before the Lord, but just realize Jesus sees my heart. He sees the, the pride that lurks in my heart. You realize even a, a, a small sprout of, of pride in our lives will bring much damage to us. Oh, that God would give us and help us to maintain a holy humility. It, isn't it what Jesus told us to do? We clothe ourselves with humility every day. Put them on. Our lives are, are shameful when we don't have on the clothes of humility. And they, they gathered around this dinner with a bit of arrogance. Judas with some deceit. He wasn't there with good intention. Uh, the others with the arrogance. Hey, we're all right. But you know what Jesus also uh, shows us is that he serves in this dinner. Look at on John chapter 13, if you'll turn over there. John chapter 13. And this is where uh, we see the, the, the foot washing happening with the Lord Jesus. He serves there. And I want you to notice in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, uh, we see that Jesus engages his, his disciples. Now, as we, as we think of that, that, stay going to John chapter 13. Let me remind you of what it says in Luke, another of the, of the Gospels. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he, Jesus, sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. Mark 14, verse 15, it says, And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared there, make ready for us. So what's going on here? Jesus says, I want you to go prepare the Passover, and I want you to go get it ready for us all to eat this together. I want you to go make the preparations. Sometimes they, uh, we tell our kids to prepare for dinner, set the table. And we get there, and there might be uh, sporadically thrown out silverware. Uh, sometimes there might be a water missing. Someone needs a water and it wasn't prepared for. But when we say go prepare the table, we mean silverware, napkin, and water, right? That's all of it, right? Silverware, napkins, and water. And we want, we, and we'll bring the plates along, but uh, as parents and, and so forth. But they were told to go prepare. And I want you to notice that there was a failure on their part to do something very customary and that was to prepare and to be ready uh, to wash one another's feet a, as they came in off the dusty roads of Jerusalem and uh, not to be sitting around with, uh, with filthy, dirty feet and stinking up the place. Uh, let's just be honest, this was a custom, and much of that custom was derived from them walking on dusty roads. And there was a failure to have this ready. Peter and John, Luke says, were the ones that were told to go over there. You know something about Peter, he's already exhibited a, a, an attitude of pride. Uh, hey, the other, guys might, <laughs> the other guys might mess up, Lord, and deny you, but I'm not going to. Hey, we're with Peter, we're not messing up either. We're not denying you either. We already know there's a spirit of arrogance and pride here. And part, if you read into all the Gospels, you see that there's some strife going on that will be going on around this dinner about who's the greatest. So there's, there's a spirit of pride, but I think about John. Peter, James, and John were the sons of what? James and John, I should say, were the sons of thunder. And so these guys, these guys were, they, they just, they, they were kind of impetuous, they were hasty and, and things, but in all of them, there was, I, I, can, I can just imagine as they're gathering around, I'm not washing Peter's feet, I'm not washing John's feet. But regardless, they were to go prepare for this, this meal, and you know what? As Jesus is sitting down with them uh, at this meal, John chapter 13, verse number 4, he rises up from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. We've gotten through supper, no one's feet are washed, and Jesus stands up. 
Now just remember this, when pride abounds, service is diminished. When pride abounds in your heart, your service to one another will be diminished. When pride abounds in my heart, as a husband, my service to my wife will be diminished. It'll be diminished in every, every facet of my life. If pride is abounding, if there's arrogance in my life, service is going to be diminished. I'm not going to serve as I ought to. What does Jesus do? He makes a choice to serve. He rises up from supper. Verse number five, and he poureth the water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. This was a choice Jesus made. A deliberate choice. And as a leader, no doubt, he's looking around, no doubt, that, oh, this isn't happening. I'm going to have to show them how it is done. And I'm not in an arrogant way, but I'm going to have to show them. I'm going to have to lead by example and show them that I'm not too good to wash their feet. So he stands up and he, he gets the, the different instruments, the tools and so forth, and he begins to serve. And what does he say in John chapter 13, verse 13? Ye call me master and Lord, and you say, well, it is right for you to respect who I am as your God. It is right for you to understand that I am your Lord. It is right for you to understand that. You do well in understanding that. You do well in calling me those things because that is who I am in your eyes. You are, you are to reverence on Jesus Christ as Lord. You are to respect him. You are to, to hold him in high esteem. You do well. You do well to understand that I am not just one of the buddies, that I am the Lord. You do well. And what does he say? For so I am. And if then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. There is the crux of the lesson. Here we have all the disciples, they've preached together, they've been together in all this time, and yet none of them were willing to prepare for this moment. None of them were willing to say, you know what, hey, Peter's feet and some of the rest of your feet, they're pretty dirty right now. You know, no one wants to be sitting around in this, we're going to take care of it. No, Jesus stood up and said, you know what, I'll take care of this. I'll wash the feet. And he makes that choice. And then he makes a call to them. Listen, guys, guys, if I've done this as your Lord, then you ought to do it to one another. You ought to be willing to humble yourself. Culturally, those that did the foot washing were the lowest of the low servants. Uh, you know what it is on a new job to get the grunt job? This would be the least of the servants was going to get this job. In fact, in a Jewish in a Jewish household, if there were Jewish servants and Gentile servants in that household, the Gentile servant would get the job of the foot washing. Not the Jewish servant. They, they, so, uh, they so regarded foot washing as the lowest of the low job. And so Jesus, as master and Lord, he stands up and he begins to wash their feet and then calls them, he says in verse number 15. And let's read verse number 15. Mark 14, 15 together if you're there. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. You should do this. I'm calling you to this. And he also says in verse 17, there's joy if you will take this to heart. There's joy in serving uh, one another in this way. Happy are ye if you do them. And so let me ask you a question tonight. Do you see yourself as a servant to the other disciples? Because not a one of the disciples saw themselves in that place that Jesus by choice, put himself in, says, I'm going to serve you. Remember what happens as soon as he starts doing that? Peter's like, don't wash my feet. You know what all that was? Peter's pride was poked. He knew in his heart, Jesus is doing something I am not willing to do. 
that I wasn't willing to, to step up and do. And so once Jesus said, if you, if you don't allow this, there's no fellowship. You have no part with me. You have no fellowship with me. There's much more that we could say about all that, and we're not digging, uh, digging down on deep into that tonight. But he, he says then, just wash my whole body. No, 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 you don't get it. Just wash what's necessary. I need to wash what's necessary, Peter. But he was, he was offended by this. Jesus calls them to, to wash one another's feet. He calls them to this service. And do you see yourself as a servant tonight? Or are you maybe a little bit like the disciples, you know, I'll do this, but I won't do that. I'll, I'll set the table, but I won't wash the feet. I'll go make the plan with the, with the room. I'll rent the room, but I, I won't wash the feet. Now, the reason you have these tags on tonight is, you know, one of the, the things that we ought to do every time we gather in, in this place and throughout our week, we ought to see ourselves as servants to one another. You see on there, hi, my name is, how may I serve you? How may I serve you? Now, the reason I had this put on is just a little bit of a reminder. You know, uh, some of our guys on, on, on Sunday will wear this and uh, before pre-COVID when we had more ushers formally and, you know, coming down the aisles with the offering plates and so forth, they w- would wear this and how may I help you? But you know that the servants of this church are not just the ushers. But sometimes I wonder if in churches like ours, if we're a little bit like the disciples, I'll do this, but I won't do that. You know what I'm saying? And we need to see us all as servants, even to the menial, the very lowest of jobs. It doesn't matter. There's joy. And what does he say in verse number 17? He says there, he says to his uh, disciples, let me get back there. Where is it? Verse number 17. If, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. If you know these things, if you've experienced these things, happy are ye if you do them. So I'm just saying tonight, and I want to really challenge you about this, not just because uh, you know next week's Easter Sunday, and no doubt there'll be people here for the first time that we ought to, we ought to serve and encourage, and you know, as you're down in the down in the breakfast area, well, how can I serve you? Can I get the high chair for you? Can I, can I, you're welcome at this spot. Can I pick up your plate? You know, can I take care of you? Oh, I see you're having a hard time. Can I, uh, can I give you a hand in walking to the, to the nursery or what, whatever the case may be? Oh, there's trash on the floor. I'll pick up the trash. Oh, there's, you know, someone, you know, someone tossed a pop bottle out, the, out, the, out their, uh, their door as they, or out their window as they were driving along. You know, that probably doesn't look really good to have all that trash out in front of a church. You know what? I could stop and pick that up. You mean a member could stop and pick out, up a trash along the side of the driveway? Yeah. Yeah, but if we're all servants, we can. If we're not, well, someone else will do that. I mean... They, we pay a janitor, don't we, for that, right? You know, I'm just getting down to the point. We, if, we, if we are all servants, we can all serve no matter what. And we don't, we don't wait for someone else to do it. Well, I thought Peter was going to get the, I thought Peter was going to take care of getting the, 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 uh, the washing bowl and the rags. No, we see the need, we take the lead, we take care of it. Well, what a harmonious place it is when everyone sees themselves as a servant. What happens in our homes when we don't see ourselves as servants, guys? Well, my wife's the ser- 
my wife's going to serve and take care of dinner. My wife is going to do this. My wife is... What happens in the home? Well, typically, problems arise. Tensions arise. But when we see ourselves as servants to one another in our homes, when we see ourselves, parents, as servants to our children, children, when we see ourselves as servants to our parents and to one another, I got to the point we were having some, uh, some uh, issues. And I, I made all the kids for one night act like Chick-fil-A workers. How may I serve you? My pleasure. How may I serve you? My pleasure. No, I'm, I'm serious. They thought I was joking. No, I'm, I'm serious. Go ask your sister, how may I serve you? And it's my pleasure to have done so. What if, we, what if that was the way that we approached the gatherings? And what if that's the way that just kind of permeated our life? Wouldn't that change the whole tenor? Wouldn't that suck the strife right out of gathering? Wouldn't that take the tension? Listen, we won't, we won't struggle with being treated like a servant if we're acting like a servant. And you know what? There are going to be times in church life you are treated like a servant. Someone, you do something for someone and no one says thank you. Or no one even really notices you know, walk away and like, whoa, what's up with that? I really put a lot of time into that. No one even noticed and, and took time to say anything about it. You know, there's going to be times like that. But the fact is, Jesus takes note of every act of service that we do for him. And if we're truly serving him, we can walk away every time knowing that he has noticed, no matter if anyone else has. And so I see in the disciples here, Jesus is teaching them he serves. And you know what? Jesus served us in the greatest way. Imagine if Jesus had taken the attitude of the disciples when he came. Well, I'm not going to the cross. That's, I mean, that's for common, that's for the worst of criminals. I'm not going to the cross. But we'd all be still in our sins if Jesus didn't serve us in that way. He took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man, became obedient even under the death of the cross, and that's what he did for us. And so the Bible tells us that we aren't to we aren't to strive for our liberty, Galatians 5 and verse number 13. For brethren, you have, you have been called to liberty, only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, for an opportunity for the, unto the flesh. But by love, serve one another. By love, serve one another. So our whole goal as we gather together within the church, one of the one another's of Scripture is that we by love, by sacrifice, are willing to love. That by sacrifice, we're willing to serve one another by the forfeiting of our own rights. And you know, sometimes I think we need to ask the Lord, Lord, am I being the servant to the body, to the rest of the disciples that I ought to be? Because I can mark this down. I almost guarantee that none of the disciples were aware of this issue in their life. They're there. We're enjoying this meal together with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to have the Passover. We're going to go through this. I can guarantee you none, none of them were, um, were thinking in their mind, well, I, I'm, I'm choosing not to serve. You know, I'm, I'm falling way short in this. Jesus exposed it in their life. And he shows them, hey, guys, you've missed, you've missed an opportunity to serve the rest of us. You've missed an opportunity. And so uh, how it would it behoove us to, to say, Lord, am I serving your disciples, the body as I ought to serve? Am I, do I have the right attitude when I, when I gather? Am I missing something that I should be doing? Lord, give me holy observance to the needs that are around me so that I can serve to the needs in one another's life. And so tonight, I'd just like to encourage you from the, from the Last Supper uh, to have the attitude of how may I serve you with everyone that gathers here.
Be a servant. Be a servant. Uh, may no one walk through our doors that is not served by us as a body. May no one walk away and say, well, that was, that was I had a need and I walked away that need unmet because we were unwilling to serve. Boy, this would change our ho- households this week if we had this attitude. Lord, help us. But I want us to see not just that Jesus sees, he serves, but he sacrifices. And this is where I really want to just take note of the Lord's Supper because after this, this meal, he takes the bread and the cup and he begins to share with them. Now, he's already told them he's going to the cross. They don't understand all the picture and imagery of this, but he's told them, I'm going to the cross. So what is he saying with these symbols that he begins to give, this, this first giving of the, the Lord's Supper to them? I am sacrificing, first of all, guys, with my body, he says in Mark 14, 22. And as they did eat, Jesus took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Now, this is something he gave as a symbol, as an imagery. And though, uh, though some would take this and uh, would, would, uh, would twist the doctrine of Scripture, Jesus, Jesus was giving us a picture, a memorial. We especially see that in 1 Corinthians. He set it up as a, rem- a memorial. He said, this do in remembrance of me. So this is not that we're eating the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. The, 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 uh, the bread does not become his body. The, blood, uh, the, the juice does not become his blood. We don't, we don't believe that. It's a picture of these things. And what was he trying to establish in front of them? This is what I'm going to do for you, and I want to re- you to remember my broken body. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. 23, for I have received of the Lord, Paul speaking, that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he break it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is what? Broken for you. Broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Broken, to break off. It's broken off. I think of the, of the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 and verse number 26 when it talks about how the Messiah will be cut off. There will, be, there will be a severe action in Isaiah 53 in verse number 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised, and he is rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Now notice, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. It's broken. Earlier in Isaiah 52 and verse number 14, tells us that he was so marred that he was not recognizable. Now think about that. Brother Hugh, you have a beard. Think about the fact of his beard being pulled out. Think about the pain of that. Unbelievable. You think about the fact that he was scourged. The Bible says in Matthew 27, verse 26 and on, then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had 
scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And then the, the, governor, uh, the, the, the soldiers take off his clothes, humiliating, completely humiliated. He was hung that way. We don't see pictures that way because it's, we don't want to. You understand, he was completely humiliated. He was beaten. The scourging in and of itself was beaten beyond the, the Jewish limits. Remember, the Jewish limits were 39 save one. These were Roman soldiers going to town on him. They were beating him mercilessly. And, uh, you know, they say, according to tradition, many times that the, 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 uh, the, the individuals didn't even survive that beating. Jesus survived and went to the cross. He was beaten mercilessly. He had a crown of thorns put on his head out here in one of the front trees, down at the base of the tree. And I don't understand why some of these trees do it, but they sprout thorns. And, uh, and I actually have some in my office that my wife uh, um, picked up along the way and put in my office and kind of formed a, uh, formed, it wasn't a crown, but it's, it, it, it kind of reminds me of the thorns that, that might have been put on Jesus' head. But we're talking thorns. Well, you get one of those on your finger, oh, you, you know it. But just think about that pressed upon his head. You need to think, guys, how, how quickly your, your face bleeds in shaving. You think about the blood that would just be pouring out uncontrollably. You know how hard it is to uh, get your face to stop bleeding. Uncontrollable. Blood. Streaming down. And think about the loss of blood. Think about the smacking across the face and they're taking a reed and hitting him on the head with these, these thorns on and the, the humiliation of being presented. And then on top of all that, they, they put upon him probably the cross beam of the, the, the cross and expect him to carry that to, Mount, uh, to Golgotha. I mean, the, the, the absolute torture that he was going through, he was broken. The Bible says that his bones weren't broken, but he was absolutely, uh, he was torn. He was, he was just beyond all recognition. And this sacrifice is what he was making for our forgiveness. Bruised and broken for us. So when you take the bread in a little bit, you notice that it's broken. Just think about the fact and remember the fact that Jesus was broken for you, literally broken, beyond any place that any one of us has ever been. He's broken for us. His body was bruised, it was battered, but that wasn't it. Without the next part, the next part of the illustration, the picture, the blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. He says in, he says in Mark Chapter 14, verse 23, and he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank, and he said unto them, this is the blood of the New Testament. By this blood, I am, I am making a way. I am paving the way. I'm opening the door for this new covenant between you and God, this amazing covenant uh, between you and God, and where you've been welcomed in the family by faith in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, 25, and after the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Here's my blood that I'm shedding for you. The life of the body is in the blood, is it not? You can't go without blood. You need your blood. 
but he shed his blood. It was poured out for us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. There's no greater love than what we saw at Calvary because Jesus Christ laid down his life for his enemies. You and me, dead in our trespasses and sins, enemies of God, at enmity with him, and he shed his blood for you and for me. There's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Hebrews 9 and verse 11, all that they would do, even in that week, all the sacrifice that would be going on. They did it in an empty way, not looking forward to Calvary, but they had been commanded to do this as a picture, all leading up to what Calvary would actually accomplish, the shedding of blood of of bulls and goats and and lambs. God says it it isn't enough to cover, uh, it isn't enough to forgive sins. Without the shedding of blood, though, in Hebrews 9 and verse 22, there is no remission of sins. There's no forgiveness. His blood alone could atone. It'd be a once and for all. We have that song in the hymnal, once for all. Once for all. It'd be once and for all. He would cease all the sacrifices. It was all concluded in Jesus Christ in the shedding of his blood. And he holds up the cup there that night and says, this is the New Testament in my blood. This is the key to you having salvation from your sins. And so I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 11 tonight. Jesus teaches lessons. Yeah, I see everything. I see your heart. I serve. Though there's all sorts of strife going on, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's amazing. Who's going to take lead? No, I'll serve, guys. And he leads the way, not just in his service in that moment, by serving redemption. Going to the cross. Sacrificing. By the way, Remember what Jesus told us when he said he would build his church? That he had to go to the cross, and then he said, if anyone's going to come after me, let him deny himself daily, take up his cross, and follow me. You have to follow suit. You have to sacrifice like I sacrificed. You have to sacrifice, Philippians 1 and verse number 25, on the behalf, 29, on the behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you're there at 1 Corinthians 11 in verse number 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of this bread, of that bread, and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And then he says that there's many that are sick, and even those that have died because they have taken the the table of the Lord unworthily. What's going on here? Um, God is saying to you and I as believers who have gathered in in this time, we aren't to to be allowing in our lives, we aren't to knowingly be allowing sin that Jesus died for, coming to this table and saying, you know what, I I remember him going to the cross for me, but I'm okay with this sin. I'm okay with my strife. I'm okay with my pride. I'm okay with my my motives that are driving me. I'm okay with not serving my fellow believers. I'm okay. And he says, no, 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 no. I don't want you to come to the table of the Lord with, uh, unworthily in a way that isn't balanced with what Jesus Christ did for us. Now, what he is not saying is stay away from the table of the Lord. He is not saying, you know what? Here's a believer. Could go this way. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not willing to deal with this, so I'm, not gonna, I'm just not going to take the table of the Lord. And I believe there are some believers that get to that point. No, I just won't do it. 
But that's not God's heart. God's heart is for us to come to this time and to allow this moment of remembering Jesus Christ and all that he did for us and his sacrifice for us to purify us. To cause us to say, you know what, Lord? Is there some motives in me that aren't pleasing to you? Have I been withholding service? Have I been acting in pride and, and acting in arrogance towards my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and not been, not been treating them as I ought to? Have I been that way? And Lord, would you forgive me? And Lord, if, if I need to go to somebody, I'm willing to go to somebody and take care of that. But I want, I want to be worthy. It doesn't mean that we, we're sinless. Aren't you thankful for that? Like, it's impossible for us to do that, but it is saying that we don't come to the table knowing and harboring sin that the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross for. You think about this. Jesus Christ went to the cross for the sins in Revelation 21 and verse number 8. All those sins that are mentioned, the unbelieving, the fearful, the whoremongers, the adulterers, the sorcerers, he took all that sin at the cross and all liars. He took all that sin at the cross. And don't come to, don't come to the table of the Lord and accept the table of the Lord while you are engaged in willfully in the sin that sent me to the cross. I think that's pretty clear. Don't take it unworthily. So what does that behoove us to do, even in a night like this, is, Lord, is it I? Is there something in my life that is unworthy, is wrong, that I need to deal with? Is it I? And I believe that any time we come to the table of the Lord, it's a really good thing to take time to examine ourselves and allow the Lord to talk to us. And so that's what I'd like to do right now. With this, your heads bowed in an attitude of prayer, let's take time tonight. We've learned some lessons from the Last Supper. Let's take time to examine ourselves. And again, I'd encourage you to bow before the Lord and just take a few moments. We're not going to rush this. I think we ought to talk to the Lord tonight and we ought to ask him, Lord, is there anything in my life? Is it I? Is there some pride in my life that has crept in, Lord, that is hindering me from serving others? When was the last time you gave the chance to God, your heavenly Father, to speak to you about your life, to, to, to make you to lay you open that this is going on in your heart. This, this offends me. This, this, this distances our relationship. This isn't right. Would you take time tonight and would you examine yourself before the Lord, praying and asking Him to, to show you. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.